Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who've embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world. You know, whether or not you've considered moving abroad or taking on an international role, globalization will impact your career. So join us for a lively discussion as we explore what an international career really means. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. In season four, we travel around the world exploring what it's like working abroad in some of the hottest industries and best countries for advancing your career. Come with us as we journey through rich and diverse cultures and deepen our understanding of the expat experience. Today, we're heading across the pond to the UK, London specifically, to speak with Jessica Foreman, who works in HR for Amazon with the title, UK People Priorities Lead, Mental Health and Wellbeing, Future of Work. Jess moved to London from Seattle during the pandemic, but she made arguably an equally big move by pivoting her career from education to HR after receiving her master's degree in leadership and organizational performance at Vanderbilt. She began her career with Teach for America and now works in HR for one of the largest companies in the world. And she speaks Spanish. Welcome, Jess. Great to have you with us today. Thanks, Stacey. So I've really been looking forward to our interview because I want to hear about your colorful career so far. But let's first start with what you're doing now, uh, your job, UK People Priorities Lead. Tell us, what is it that you do? Well, I have to be upfront and honest. I'm still figuring that out. But the role scope is running all initiatives regarding mental health and well-being and future of work for our UK employees within Amazon. And what that translates to is really building a community, an environment that provides resources and overall support around mental health. As we know, it's incredibly connected to what people feel they can do in their job and how they show up every day. The future of work bit is innovative and a little bit more, um, I would say, hard to describe. <laughs> We're sort of looking at the new change and businesses these days and figuring out what it looks like to work in a company. On the back end of the pandemic, lots of organizations are focused on flexible working, where people work, and we wanna make sure we're not just on par, but doing the best that we can to be Earth's best employer, which is a recent leadership principle we added to our other 14. That is fantastic to hear, especially uh, such a large and um, influential employer like Amazon. So that's great. That's great. And you work in London, a dream city for that's so true. many people. Yes, so many people that I that I meet. How did you do it? How'd you go from Seattle to London? It wasn't as easy as I expected. I had the intention of living abroad from college after studying abroad, fell in love with Spain, where I spent a semester and had in mind the idea of eventually going back to somewhere outside of the States and living for a year or two or more and felt that Amazon actually would be a really good conduit to getting abroad and then started to work internally and realized that the assignments, which are roles that people go across the pond or, or go abroad doing are limited in time and have the same pay scale as they would in the States, which often is much higher and get stipends and get support with moving and living. And those were very hard to come by. 
at Amazon, super coveted and very um, specific in who they need and, and who goes over. And so I looked for the opportunity and got a bit ahead of where I wanted to go and when by just networking with people internally who were in international business organizations that had potentially opportunities open for me and connected with a leader and there was no role. Five weeks later, she called me up and said, we have an opening and it's in London. Are you interested? Said, sign me up. Great. So prepped yourself, knew you wanted it, studied abroad, looked for the opportunity, went with a big company, raised your hand, connected, networked with people, and took the one that was offered to you, which is great, too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What's it like to live and work in London? It is exciting, for sure. You pointed out a big, um, an interesting choice that I made, a big decision which was to move abroad in the middle of the pandemic. And so I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It was a tough start. And with London being so big and vibrant and all of the opportunity to travel that comes with living in London was gone when I came over, which I thought was a nice way to sort of get introduced into the city. But, oh man, when things started opening up, I really realized how much there is and I'm still exploring. So it's really nice to be able to sort of continuously explore. And I never feel like I know the city well enough to say that I don't have, you know, places to learn about. And um, even with work too, there's, it's, London's amazing, but there's such interesting um, distance, close distance to Edinburgh and Ireland where I get to go often as well. So it's, it's great. It can be a bit, overwhelming. It's definitely fast paced, similar to a New York City, but it's really nice that there's a sentiment that's a bit different than Americans that focuses and values work-life balance. So I've worked to take that on. <laughs> that's great. So I'm assuming based on your, your statement that the work-life balance is work is not everything. And, um, People have more balance and more personal time and freedom and interesting, you know, things to do interesting that are not part of work. Absolutely. And there's a pretty clear distinction that people make between the time they spend personally and the time that they are at work. And and I don't I don't mean in terms of connecting with people and being human, but I mean in the fact that when they're on holiday, they're on holiday. They don't answer the, the pings. They don't respond to the emails. Which I really respect. Yeah, respect so important. That's a great. I, I would not have known that. So thanks for pointing that out. That's a really interesting point for our listeners to know about working there. It's not just this fast-paced, great, fabulous city, one of the best in the world, but there's that balance. Yeah. Who who knew? Yeah, That's great. Really, yeah. yeah, it's a really nice addition to some of the feeling of the the rat race. <laughs> So, yeah. Can you shed some light on some of the other things that may be different, um, especially from the U.S., since that's where you lived before and worked before? Business etiquette, cultural nuances, those kinds of things. Well, I'll start with a story. The cultural nuances, cultural nuances, excuse me, I didn't think were going to be as obvious um, as they came to be. And it really starts with language. So I figured come to London easy transition, English to English. The English spoken in 
London and the UK beyond is very different, as I'm sure many of the listeners know. And words are not the same. So oftentimes I will use a word that's inappropriate. And a couple of times I've been called out on saying something that's completely normal in the US that is just a completely different meeting and not super appropriate in the business setting, which can be embarrassing, but always a good learning opportunity, especially when you have a kind colleague pointed out. But the one example was uh, obviously working in mental health and we had comms uh, communications piece go out and the communications director suggested that we say, grab a cuppa and take this survey about mental health. health. I had no idea what a cuppa was. And then later it was grab a brew take the survey. To me, a brew is a beer. And so I assumed a cuppa and a brew sort of went hand in hand with alcohol. And I got pretty concerned and called out, you know, I don't think we should be suggesting people grab a beer and take a mental health survey and was quickly told that it actually was in reference to tea. So the language is quite different. Mm, Ouch. (laughs) Yeah, it was, thankfully, everybody was very um, kind and and generous in their understanding. And oftentimes, I just sort of poke fun at myself and say, you know, the the American in me uh, needs to practice better English. The other piece that's really interesting, specifically about Brits, um, and, and I guess in general, the UK, is the approach to confrontation. It's a very... Um, closed off culture in terms of confrontation. There's not a ton of open conversation. The kind of conflict that might exist isn't often named. And instead, there's a little bit of an element of passive aggressiveness or nuanced sort of um, language that suggests either taking offense to something that somebody else said or not being comfortable. And it's really difficult at times to navigate what is the message. Um, So that's been interesting. And then I would say one of the most amazing positive elements Mm -hmm. to to living in London is that everybody is interested in learning about each other. It is so international. And there are so many people that have real interest in learning about other places, other cultures, other languages. I didn't realize how incredibly diverse and how incredibly engulfed in that cultural difference people are within London. And it's on a week, you know, weekend basis that folks go to Istanbul or to Spain. And so that part's really, really nice as well. Mm, fascinating. That's great. Great, great pointers um, and, and diving in deep. So thanks for sharing that, especially your experience and your your examples. I imagine that cultural difference, the approach to confrontation may actually bleed into global teams and creating, you know, uh, an added dimension to that dynamic tension that exists between individual countries and global headquarters, regional teams, uh, maybe related to that topic or others or, you know, that particular that particular approach or the difference uh, in approaching confrontation. But have you had experiences with those types of things, the dynamic tension working around the world? Yes. And I I know we're on a podcast, so you can't see me, but I am aggressively shaking my head yes. (laughs) I keep nodding my head yes. Yes, this is a big piece of the the dynamic tension that you referenced. 
the the interesting element i think working at such a large company like amazon that is global is that we're based in seattle and hq really is the center the mothership and so having worked five years in that environment i understood obviously there were needs that were culturally you know specific and just in terms of emerging markets and in terms of the population we're serving vary greatly, but we have a tendency at such a big company still to have a very American centric lens. And so what's really tough is actually being able to voice, look, we might not be as big or as close to the sun. However, we've got our own customers, our own employees that have just as many needs that actually differ. So if we're looking at a place like Amazon where we try to scale and automate so that we get the best for as many people as possible with one plus million people working for the company, there's also a really important element of considering the cultural differences and the regional differences and the perspectives. And that's actually an interesting position for me in particular because my role is country specific. And even within the EU, the work I'm doing needs to be regional, needs to be UK specific because of the resources that are available only in London or only at Edinburgh. And so even trying to scale what I'm doing and support EU is tough. And then pitching it back to global and saying, look, we're doing what we know is right for our customers. They question if it will put anything at risk because there's always the consideration of it going bigger and wider because we want to have an equal employee experience. And so if somebody in Seattle hears an initiative that they're very interested in, you know, in happening across Europe, it doesn't create that standard experience. And so there's this interesting tension of where can we run with what we know needs to happen regionally and what do we need to go through in terms of some of the approvals and um, visibility with really big leaders in NA and in Seattle that might not have the same perspective. Mm, that's a great, wow, what a challenge. What a real challenge. It, it is. Yeah. And it's honestly really good. And I would emphasize this to anybody interested in working abroad. It's really good to be on the other side because for so long, I was a part of the mothership that sort of didn't totally take the time to make the space and learn what needed to happen that was more customized just because we're, we're so fast paced and we're so big and we're trying to scale and we're working with lean teams. But somebody's experience in London or in Italy or in Germany or in Singapore isn't any less important than somebody's experience in Seattle or Nashville or Chicago. Excellent. Excellent point. And well said. That is one of the benefits of working abroad. Most definitely. Yeah. What other advice or tips do you have for listeners thinking about moving to and working in London specifically or the UK? I would just say, I, I know I mentioned earlier, I just did not expect as much of a cultural change. And so it was a, a little sort of, I felt disappointed in myself that I wasn't getting more acclimated and feeling really good. And there's just, if you talk to any expat, a natural 
coaster that you ride of ups and downs in terms of trying to integrate into a new culture, regardless of if they're, they're speaking the same language or not. And so I think I would just, and this sort of aligns with my role, maybe I've um, drunk the Kool-Aid a little bit too heavily, but it really is about self-care and being okay with being uncomfortable and knowing that's totally normal and natural and it does go up and down and to really lean into the times that are uncomfortable because it's what helps you grow. And I think a big part of acclimating to a new culture is, especially in London, not just meeting Brits, but being exposed to so many of the different inner, you know, different nationalities and the international community that exists. And so I, yeah, I, I would just say not to feel bad about maybe not acclimating as quickly as you might have expected. And that the British culture is, yes, definitely about the royals and afternoon tea and, you know, the the properness, but it's also so much about a very large, expansive international community. Mm, that is wonderful. Great. And you're right. Culture shock, it happens to every single one of us, and it happens no matter where we go around the world. So thanks for sharing that. It's really, it's it's touching. Uh, it's very touching to hear, to hear you talk about it like that, especially as an HR leader, right? Can you talk about some of the trends in HR uh, in the UK, Europe, other parts of the world, things that you've seen? What do you see coming? Funny enough, I do have this lens that's specific to mental health and well-being and future of work. So call me maybe tunnel vision, but I do think that there's a lot more focus these days on how people work and the employee. With the back end of COVID, hopefully, and kind of coming out of the two years where folks really felt the solitary kind of, you know, overthinking, analyzing, not really having a good sort of feeling about going to a place of work every day that might not have been totally connected to values led to then the great um, resignation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now we're in this period called quiet quitting where folks are doing their job at the bare minimum, knowing that they're not going to go above and beyond. They're going to do what their job requires and what they're paid for which isn't totally common, especially at big companies like Amazon or Google or PwC, but it is sort of this reflection on the value of work-life balance. And so there's a big trend. And it's also a really interesting time too, Stacey, because there's a recession. So employees are really interested in what the company can do for them and have kind of gone through these trends of reflection and understanding if the work connects their values and if what they do every day makes them happy, which is, which is great. And then companies leaning into that because they need to, they need to retain and recruit talent to now hiring freezes coming up. And so the quiet quitting element is how to keep people engaged and how to get the employee to feel connected to the values that they've been wondering about. And I think that leans then into what flexibility we're giving employees. We now learned from the pandemic, you don't have to come into an office every single day. And so it's 
what we can find as a happy medium between what the business needs and what employees need to make a really, I think, healthy work environment, mm. which is really good, really good to see. It is it's just really going to be interesting with the resource constraints. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it is. It is another form of kind of dynamic tension between employer and employee, right? A because thousand percent. Wow, wow, so interesting. What an interesting time to be in HR and your space. Cool, very cool. And working for a leading company that actually can can set the bar high that others can actually see. Yeah, you you can do it even when you're this big. You can do it. So. That's our plan. Yeah. Good luck. I'll need it. So, so obviously, as you've already pointed out, especially there in in the UK, living abroad is about much more than working. What do you like to do for fun? That is one of my favorite topics because I never have a straight answer and I change it every time. So it depends on the day. I have a huge love of sports. They call it sport in the UK. Um, so if I find myself free, I usually try to go to the gym or for a long walk. We've got beautiful parks in London or, um, try to, to find some pickup volleyball. I also have been really working on reading more. So have worked to uh, connect expats together in a book club. And I do travel quite a bit. I feel as if I don't know how long I'll stay in the UK. I'm really enjoying it so far. I've not put a time cap on it, but I want to be sure to take advantage of the time I have and explore Italy and crazy enough, explore Spain, explore all of the amazing countries around us. And funny enough, it's less time in travel to to um, Italy or Spain than it is to get to the countryside in the UK. Mm. So I spend a lot of time in a, a Few more dollars or euros or um, pounds, and I would like to admit on that. But in my head, it's all about the experience. That's you know, full picture, not just the work experience, which has helped me grow tremendously. But personally, how I'm growing. Yeah, and 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 why not? Right? Why not? You do exactly. spend a lot of time. Yeah, you do spend a lot of time there in the UK. And that's great. But yeah, may as well take advantage of that, especially. Uh, I'm a foodie. I'm all about the food. I mean, Spain and Italy, great foods. How about in the UK? Oh, that's a really great question because I, I would just say the the myth of bad food in the UK is slowly depleting. It's it, it actually is now considered one of the hubs for new cuisine. That's you know top of the charts. So I would say the Brit the British food, it's it's okay. They don't love a lot of flavor. So there's a lot of um, opportunity for blandness, but in theory, it's really good, hearty winter food. Uh, I'm from Chicago. So sitting in front of a fireplace with a, a meat pie sounds delightful. Sometimes you just have to add a lot of salt, <laughs> but this city has the best Indian food and I've been to India. And so I can't say it's better than, but it's pretty on par. And so you can find anything here, which is also really, really great. But I would definitely put the the food in London against maybe not Italy, <laughs> but, but maybe some of the food I've had in Spain. I would I would put them up in a battle. All right. That's good to hear. And of course, the diversity, as you point out. Right. That's great. That's the best part. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell me, um, is there 
Is there a piece of advice that you were given somewhere along the way in your career and you didn't take it? So I think what I immediately consider is the piece of advice I got regarding moving abroad. There's lots of pieces pieces of advice uh, along the way that I'm sure I didn't take and, and should have or didn't take, and it was a good decision. But I, knowing this is about an international experience and the and the folks listening are invested in that, what pops out to me is the piece of advice I got from a colleague around taking the opportunity to move abroad. And I was told, and it was somebody, it is still somebody I'm very close to, very highly respect. But she said, you know, don't go unless you get an assignment. It's not worth the pay cut. It's not worth the challenge. You might not get promoted because it's not as close. I said this reference earlier, it's not as close to the sun, meaning you're not as close to the CEO um, Mm -hmm. and CHRO and the potential opportunities that might help progress my career. But I came anyway, and I did a direct hire. So I have a contract from the UK. I did take a pay cut. I had a really amazing manager go to bat for me. So it wasn't as significant as it could have been, but it's a challenge earning on the pound now with the recession and the declining value, but it's worth it. And so I'm, I didn't go for a few years because of that thought. I'll find an assignment. That's the only time I'll go. The only reason I'll take the chance to be in this kind of risky situation because it it at least gives me the comfort of knowing I'll be repatriated and it gives me a time box around the two years or one year that they would put me on assignment. But now I don't have to worry about that. I do have to worry about the money, which is a different conversation, but it's just like anybody else in this um, time of life, you know, or any point in life, it's about figuring out how to be responsible, but also doing what is going to be priceless in your life memories. And read an article, I think it was this morning, it's been a long day, that said you spend, I think it was 17 or maybe even, even less percent of your time in life working. And so if I had gone with that advice of not going until I found an assignment because it would be potentially damaging to opportunities for promotion or concerning around my salary and and if that would be something I could use to benchmark future roles, I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing today, which really expand me in so many other ways outside of that. And so I'm glad I didn't take the advice. Absolutely. What a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. You're so courageous and brave. And <laughs> and I believe 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm behind you. I agree with you. The amount that you're learning, the way it's expanding your person, um, pumping out different facets of your personality that you would never have met had you stayed. So good for you. That's great. And I think it's inspiring and hopefully motivating to our listeners to do the same. You know, take life by the reins yourself and do what it is that you want to do. That's great. That's great. And not wait for that opportunity. I think if I would have waited and now knowing where we are in place and time with the company, it wouldn't have ever come. Mm. We're not sending people on assignment. It's only those that are highly, highly skilled in in a specific area or are very big leaders that need to be sort of expanding and building businesses abroad. And so I don't know if I ever would have gone if I kept waiting for that. So yeah, agree. Take take the bull by its horns and do what you think is right for yourself. 
Yes, excellent piece of advice. And that is one of the trends that actually we're seeing. People, Companies are sending less. So, good for you. Excellent. So, moving moving abroad, same company, local hire, good, good tip. We have come to the end, and I wanted to ask, this has been a wonderful conversation, is there anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners? You know, I think that the biggest learning for me in just taking a chance is that it's never a one-way street or a one-way door. If there's a concern or an issue, you always can move back. And so I just want to encourage anybody who's thinking about it in the slightest to go for it because it's it's something that you can always return from. So my biggest, I think, takeaway is I wish I did this earlier mm-hmm. <laughs> because I feel lucky that I don't have to be in a time box around one or two years of assignment, I really can do what I please in terms of, um, of course, I have a visa and my visa is five years and I have to ensure that um, I apply for residency once that five years comes, which is actually super exciting. But I don't have a time frame right now. I'm just living moment by moment in terms of what is right for me, which I think I've realized through COVID, like so many other people, is really important. I kept sort of looking at what's next, what is the best, what is what I should be doing. And being here, especially as I'd mentioned earlier with this culture of valuing work-life balance and val- you know, valuing holiday and family and time to yourself has made me realize that I've been missing that a bit. So I would just say take the leap. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. It's so exciting, thrilling to hear hear your perspective, and I'm sure I'm sure you will touch um, and inspire many of our listeners. So thanks, Jess. I really appreciate the time you took, and um, really enjoyed our conversation. An honor to be with you. Thanks, Stacy. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast. Join us again next time, and in the meantime, go global.